Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hello and welcome to the Addicts Anonymous podcast. I'm your host, Jim R., and today is episode 20. And today we're going to be interviewing Jen L. How are you this morning, Jen? Doing pretty good. How are you? Doing well, doing well. So... Let's get right into it. Tell us a little bit about growing up. Um, well, I am one of uh, eight kids uh, spanning multiple marriages on both sides uh, for my mom and my dad. I'm the one off between uh, my mom and my dad. Um, and they divorced not long after. I think they divorced when I was three. Um, my mom immediately remarried before I was five and my dad remarried again sometime when I was seven. Um, my siblings and I range in age. Um, I'm not the baby. I'm actually third from the bottom. Um, my oldest sibling is, uh, in his sixties and my youngest sibling is in her twenties. Wow. That is quite a span. Um, <laughs> my dad, uh, was the father of most of them. Um, I have two sisters from my mom. I have, uh, one, two, three sisters from my dad and two brothers from my dad. Um, I went back and forth between my parents a lot. Um, I lived in California for part of my life growing up. Um, Southern California with my mom, uh, Northern California with my dad. I traveled back and forth constantly, um, living with one or the other for a year or two at a time. Um, my parents didn't do a whole lot of parenting. I think they kind of stopped doing that before I was born. Um, they just kept having kids. Um, so I really kind of just did whatever I did growing up. I figured life out <laughs> on my own uh, growing up. Um, there wasn't a lot of parental oversight, I guess you could call it. So by the time I was uh, 13, um, right around the time the Northridge earthquake hit, I lost my virginity. Um, I not long after that, because really, what does a kid know what she's doing at that age um, about anything in regards to it? I got pregnant. Not long after that, um, I had to tell my, my family. I told my sister, uh, one of my sisters, and she became the messenger for my mother. Um in true style, like my family was apt to do, they would have a family meeting without the person they were discussing. And then a decision would be made. Um, and for this one, they decided they would take me to a uh, public location, which was an ice cream shop in the town we lived in. And they would proceed to tell me that I was going to have an abortion. Um, 
that was June of 94. Uh, we moved to, my mom decided she was leaving the state of California that year, and uh, I was going with her. And we moved to small town Oklahoma uh, in July of 94, in which I, um, a week after moving there, was when she took me to have the abortion that I had to have. Um, So, let's see, I was 13, almost 14 at that time. Um, After that, I pretty much just started really going downhill, but she really made no further effort to continue paying attention to me. Um, I started drinking. Um, She didn't really notice uh, at all. And I guess that wasn't enough, so I just kept... I was going to school, and I was at least somewhat passing. Um, But she, she didn't really do a whole lot other than pay attention to her own life at that time. Um, I kept acting out, kept dating guys, kept having sex. Um, And by the time I was 15, um, I had met a guy and decided that while I wasn't trying to get pregnant, I wasn't trying to not get pregnant. Was there a reason for that? Is there a reason that was your mentality? Um, I wanted out of my house. I wanted to fix what was taken from me. I wanted away from my mother. Um, let's just say at that point in my life, um, our relationship had really dwindled down and there had been several instances in the year since we had moved to Oklahoma where I had received phone calls on our home phone telling me that I needed to tell my mother she needed to stay away from their husband. I was 14. (laughs) So um, it was not a pleasant experience between me and her. Uh, We won't get into, well, I guess we could. Um, She was, before all of this, I guess I should say that she was very, between birth and nine, she was very violent. Um, I was spared from a lot of it because I had two older sisters from her that were seven and nine years older than me that stood in the way of a lot of the damage that she wanted to do to me. Sometime around nine, she got on an antidepressant and it dwindled down to better. (laughs) Um, But there was still a lot of mental and uh, it was less physical, but there was still very mentally abusive. She was just, she wanted to degrade you whenever she could. Um, Have you ever found out why she was like that? Um, probably because of the way she was raised. Um, my biological grandmother, from what I know, she died seven years before I was born. Um, and seven years before that, she had been in a coma from a, uh, a 
head-on collision with a drunk driver when my mom was 15. Um, but she was diagnosed, my grandmother was diagnosed with schizophrenia in the 50s um, and was a very physically abusive, um, mentally abusive. Uh, she would put vinegar in my mom and my uncle's Cheerios just for spite. Um, she would put them in the crawl space under the house to punish them. So, um, quite abusive. I guess, go ahead. No, I'm sorry. I would just say quite abusive. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I guess you could say my mom, um, at least tapered it down. <laughs> so, um, so yeah. So by the time I was 15, I got pregnant again. Um, and this time I wasn't going to allow anybody to do anything. And I told her I was going to keep it. Uh, and I pushed her into signing documents that allowed me to get married at 15. <laughs> um, the father joined the Navy, uh, and we got stationed in Andrews Air Force Base, Maryland. Uh, I was 15 when we moved. Um, that was very interesting, living on a military base when uh, you have to have something fixed and maintenance shows up and you have to show them a military ID that does not say dependent but spouse and you're 15. It's the only way they'll actually believe you to come in there and fix whatever's broken. Um, we had two kids together. Um, the Navy experience was not a pleasant experience. I would say that it was a mixture of both our own young, immature attitudes mixed with a very difficult squadron that he was assigned to. Um, but I was young and naive and very ignorant to the world at that point. I had quit all of the negative, um, I hadn't. I stopped drinking the way I was in high school. I stopped drinking when I was pregnant. Um, I, I thought I was moving on into a better life, um, but I didn't really understand what any of that meant. And uh, he got out of the Navy a year early because it was we were we were immature and dumb and didn't see the opportunities that we had in front of us at that point. So we moved back to. Oklahoma, um, and I get a job, and uh, I still naive um, and stupid have an affair with the son of the guy I'm working for, and I end up leaving my husband and getting a divorce. And turns out that the guy that I fell in love with. Um, has an addiction to meth. And instead of thinking that this is something I need to walk away from, I think that, why not? I've already fucked up my family. Um, you know, I, I, my kids, and it's a huge fight between me and my ex for my kids, and I have no money, I have no skills. <laughs> um So I, uh, I started using and the more I used, 
the less I felt about myself and I, I started diving deeper into that. And I left my two oldest kids with their dad. Um, I abandoned them. And uh, I sunk deeper and deeper. I started just by snorting meth, um, but it wasn't long before I started shooting it. Um, I never went to any serious lengths um, with regards to stealing or anything. I, um, but I certainly didn't make anything better of myself. Um, my mom actually tried stopping me once she, she had left Oklahoma before I had come back from living on the Air Force base. But she came out there when she found out that I was hooked on drugs and uh, tried to stop me. And I did not um, accept any help from her. So your mom picked up and physically came to Maryland to help you? Um, at this point, we had moved back to Oklahoma. Oh, that's she right. She was living in California. Mm-hmm. And uh, she had come to Oklahoma to physically stop me. But I uh, would not allow it. I, I wasn't ready <laughs> at that point um, to let it go. Um, during this time, my relationship with my the man that I had left him for, we actually got married. Um, actually, I'm jumping ahead. Um, so we used (laughs) for a couple of years, um, until I got really sick, uh, one winter, uh, with pneumonia and I completely did for, at that point I didn't want any more kids, but I forgot that I, (laughs) that antibiotics and birth control don't work together and I got pregnant. And I didn't know I was pregnant until uh, about three months in, which meant that I had been doing meth during the first part of my pregnancy. Um, but I quit immediately. If there was one thing I could do, it was quit for my kids, even if it wasn't to be there for them. I, I didn't want to hurt them while they were inside me. So I... I quit, but he didn't, um, and he ended up getting arrested and going, getting sentenced to six months in a uh, minimum security prison up in northwest Oklahoma. Um, so he was actually in prison when our uh, daughter was born. She was born small. Um, her lungs were good, uh, but she was five pounds, two ounces when she was born. And when we left the hospital, she was four pounds, 11 ounces. She was so tiny that preemie clothes didn't fit her and we had to buy cabbage patch clothes. Wow. Um, she's a very strong 19 year old now. So, <laughs> um, but, uh, she, um, so her and I were, together uh, on our own for the first couple of months until he got out of prison 
Um, and me still being the young, naive person that I was thought, well, we'll get married and that's going to fix everything. <laughs> it doesn't. And, uh, the violence that had started before he had gone to prison with regards to the anger and everything from the drug use and just evolved and started getting worse after he got out of prison. Um, there was one particular incident that he left bruises up and down and I actually left, came out to Arizona where my mom was living and, um, stayed for about a month um, until he convinced me to come home and I did this was uh, 2002 at this point and uh, I went back and it on again off again was better and worse he continued his drug use Um, I was using again but not like I had been um, but things just kept getting worse with regards to his anger and his violence. Um, I won't say that I was completely innocent in any of this. I, I definitely had my times of starting the fight and, and getting physical. Um, so it, we started, um, losing all the stuff that we had and we ended up moving in with his mom for a while and it all devolved one night um he picked me up from work and he was drunk and so i think he let me get behind the wheel thankfully and i drove home and our daughter's room was our daughter's crib was in the same room where we slept and I wasn't ready to go to sleep yet. He went in there and was mumbling and being loud and he ended up waking her up. And uh, I go get her and I go and I sit in the in the kitchen area, uh, dining area where his mom is sitting at their computer desk. And he comes angrily out of the room and starts yelling at me and comes and grabs our daughter right out of my arms and I'm backed up against a wall so it takes me a second to get out from behind the table I was at and his mom gets to him first and she um they start arguing over my daughter and as I get to the room um his mom's girlfriend comes out of their room And his sister comes out of a different room and we're all converging on this scene at once, right at the moment that he decides to hit his mom uh, with my daughter in in his arms. Um, My sister-in-law grabs my daughter, um, gets gets her away from him. At that point, um, I wrap my arms around him. Now to give you some uh, perspective on this scene. I'm at this point, I am five foot tall. I'm always five foot tall, Mm. but I was about a hundred pounds. Um, and he was five eleven, two 225 pounds. And I wrapped my arms around him from behind, yanked him down onto the couch. And with all the adrenaline I had in me, held him there. And I finally got him to at least calm down enough that he would let me let him go 
um, and that he wouldn't go racing after our daughter. So I let him go, and I go after trying to make sure that she's okay. Um, and she's fine. She's in another room with my sister-in-law, and I grab her. And my sister-in-law goes out to the room to start yelling at him, in which he starts following me, yelling at me, up until the point where he corners me holding our daughter and threatens to kill me if I do anything to take his daughter away from him. And at that point, I had had enough, and I told him that if he, he would have to stop me from killing him first before I ever let that happen. Um, he put his hands around my neck. I screamed for his mom. He let me go, and he ran. He left, um, slammed the door, broke the whole storm door as he went out. And um, that was the last time that we were together. Um, we were separated at that point. And that, so I, I'm sorry, I skipped a part. Um, before we had moved in with his mom, I had decided that I couldn't do this life anymore. I couldn't do the drugs anymore. Um, and so February 19th was not that fight, but pretty close. <laughs> um, and I had decided to stop. Um, that was my, that's my anniversary date of being sober. Um, so he left, he moved down to his other sister's house, which is about a hundred miles away from where we lived in Oklahoma city. And, um, he had come up and down a couple of times to see us and to talk and, um, Easter weekend happened that year, um, April 20th and I had been trying to convince him to come up and see his daughter he hadn't seen her since her birthday a month prior and um, he was very upset and very uh, distraught he would not stop yelling at me no matter what I would say um, he just wanted somebody to be his friend and that's what he kept yelling at me was I want you to just be my friend and I, I kept telling him that if you can't stop yelling at me like I want to be here for you but you have to stop yelling at me and he wouldn't and so I told him I was sorry and I hung up the next day I um I got up and I told his sister that I went I had a feeling something was going to happen that day and that if it did, she had to come up to work, to work to get me. I was working a double shift and I hate bad news over the phone. So if something happens, I want you to come get me. So five minutes into my second shift, she shows up and um, they had called from Lawton, uh, which is where he was. And um, he had overdosed, and they were taking him to the hospital. Um, we went down to Lawton. Um, we got there, and according to the paramedics, he had died five times on the way to the hospital. 
um, but they were able to resuscitate him. However, his body was convulsing, so they had to give him a paralytic, and he was on life support. Um, we sat through the night waiting for test results. Um, the doctors came back and told us that there was no brain activity. In fact, there was so much damage to his brain from the drug use that they didn't think he had been comprehending reality for the last six months of his life. Um, and uh, in Oklahoma, when anyone in the family does not agree with removing life support, it has to go to the courts um, to decide if, if life support can be removed. Um, and his dad, very distraught, um, but just wasn't willing to accept it. There was a whole lot more behind that story. <laughs> Way too much for this call. Um, but anyways, his sister... Um, before they could, we could even get to the courthouse, ended up convincing him that uh, we needed to let him go. And so everybody finally got on board. And we all gathered in the room. And before we could actually turn off the machines, his blood pressure dropped too low for the machine to read it. And... Um, and he let go at that same time. And I don't really remember a whole lot much more from that day. <laughs> um, I've been told I collapsed and um, so uh, he died April 22nd, 2003. So a little over 18 and a half years ago. Sorry to hear that. As tragic as that was, it was what needed to happen in so many people's lives. Um, a lot of people, including myself, including his whole family, um, really took it to heart as to do something better, to become better. Um, I never touched meth again after that um i uh so you <clears throat> so you did have a little bit of willpower every now and then um because that's yeah, a hard thing so it's a hard thing to do just to decide you're done with your addiction i so one of the things that i have discovered about myself in my journey to uh to be more self-aware especially over the last couple of years of my life is i when I'm done, I'm done. I, I wish I knew how to make that into something that was learnable. <laughs> um, but when I was 35, I, uh, I still smoked at that point. I still smoked cigarettes. And when I was 35, the day after my 35th birthday, I decided I couldn't do it anymore. I wasn't going to smoke anymore. And I put them down. And I haven't had them since. And I'm 41. Good for you. Good for you. So, um, 
I can't say that I never, ever, ever went to uh, like Narcotics Anonymous or Celebrate Recovery. Um, I found great solace in in talking with people who have the same path or have gone through similar stories. Um, I, I find inspiration in other people who fight to continue to live a life free from that. Yeah, I mean, that's an amazing thing to do because a lot of people just don't have that willpower. So what is your life? So let me ask you one question also. When you use drugs, what were you like? <laughs> um, I was a lot less honest. Um like I said, I never went to great lengths to do things, but I, I didn't go to, I didn't not hurt people. I, I would certainly take from them. I, I took money from people. Um, I flaked on, on people when I needed to really be there for them. I wasn't there for my kids. I had to fight for them to get them back. Um, I, I hated myself. Um, I was angry a lot because of, I hated who I had become and who I had allowed myself to be, but I didn't know how to pull myself out of it. I, I didn't feel like I was worthy of having kids, having a normal life, having <laughs> anything good because of who I was being. a lot to break that so during your active addiction what was your life like with relationships was it something that it was kind of a trail of wreckage or did you have any that were sustained throughout your addiction um oh let's see um during that time it was a trail of wreckage i i would say that i damaged so many relationships during that time because of my um, my lack of being there, my just complete disappearance from their lives. Um, the people that were in my life were drug users too. Um, that, that those were my friends, <laughs> um, and it's so that it's we did not live as good people at that time. We hung out at bars. We just suck the life out of all the people that were around us just to make ourselves have another place to sleep the next night because it's not like we had our own places um most of the time it was somebody else paying for where we stayed i guess you could say i was homeless at that time but i never looked at it that way because there was always somebody we were staying with so did you have um, jobs during this time? Were you able to maintain and hold a job? Some of it. <laughs> um, it it's <laughs> um, during the last year, uh, I was lucky because my my late husband's family before he died, um, his aunt owned a. Um, an aircraft title and escrow company. And we lived in Oklahoma city, which is where the FAA is hubbed. And I have enough 
reception, secretary, experience, knowledge, I'm computer savvy, things like that. And so I had enough that I could work for her. Um, so if he didn't have that, I don't know what kind of job I would have had. I, I would have, I, I got lucky because he had family that was willing to employ me. That's good. That's good because I know for a lot of us addicts, it's hard to maintain a steady job or even get one. Oh, if if I were to detail my jobs during that time, I mean, it. it I definitely job hopped. <laughs> um, but she was my most steady, at least towards the end. So let me and ask. And when you, I got my head straight, so sorry. Go ahead. Oh no, no. I was going to ask you because you just said about getting your head straight. What was your mental health like? Do you have any issues that add to this? You know, just to give you an example, what I mean, I'm bipolar, I have ADHD, I'm OCD, so I've got a few things that I battle besides addiction. Um, never been diagnosed with ADHD, however I su- suspect it. Um, no matter how many doctors I've asked, they don't actually try and test me. I think they think I'm just making it up. But it's fine. Um, I actually, uh, I do have... Um, anxiety issues, I guess. I've never been formally diagnosed with anything specific. I do take an antidepressant every day. Um, without it, I definitely feel the, the emotional swings um, a lot more dramatically, I should say. Um, so ha- being on an antidepressant helps to even out that that roller coaster so the the hills and valleys are not so deep yes definitely something that's extremely important so what's your life look like nowadays how's everything as far as because it seems like you've come along um so in 2006 um i made a choice to leave oklahoma um, one of the things that I had learned since quitting meth at that point was if you change your playground, you can change your life. And Oklahoma was not conducive to me changing my life. Um, so I left and I moved to Arizona, which is where uh, my mom lived at the time. Um, I had since then, um, I have graduated college uh, with a bachelor's degree. Um, I have four children. Um, I got all of my oldest two back. I have two younger ones. Uh, My youngest is 17. Um, He, uh, they're all amazing kids. They're raised healthy. Uh, They were raised here with me. Um, And uh, let's see, I work uh, for a large corporation uh, as a manager, making good money now. Um, and while I just recently got divorced, <laughs> um, it was more about um, just trying to become an even better me and not feeling like that was a good situ- situation um, for me to do that in. And so... Life is definitely better since I focused my mind on 
moving in the right direction, I guess. And that meant moving here. Yeah. So do you have any tips or tricks? I mean, what is it you do to stay sober and maintain your sobriety? Um, I, first and foremost, I take it one moment at a time, literally. Um, I know the motto is one day at a time. I have at times needed it to just be one moment. And when I feel overwhelming, um, I sit and I, I have to sit with those feelings and I have to let them happen. Um, one of the things that I teach my kids is you have to feel it to heal it. Um, it it's, it's the only way. Um, uh, one thing I recognized about my own addiction was that it wasn't about doing the meth for me. It was about getting away from everything else that was making me feel miserable and it was an escape and it was it was a a shroud over everything I didn't want to feel and so once I started learning how to manage those feelings and to cope through them I realized I didn't need to hide from them anymore and so that's my first step is to feel it when I that doesn't work for me I find my people, I find, even if it's not somebody I directly know, like I said earlier, sometimes you, you find like-minded people in Narcotics Anonymous or Celebrate Recovery, or um, there's this great group out here called The Phoenix that actually combines um, uh, working out with, with leading a sober life and, and, and channeling that energy into other areas to help refocus those feelings of needful addiction into wanting sobriety. Yeah. Exercise is definitely important. So, So, um, go ahead. No, you, you go. I was just going to say, I, I try and it's, a multitude of things it depends on how I'm feeling at the time and, and what I need at that moment but I definitely have different either exercise people just not sitting in it and and, and allowing the overwhelming feelings of negativity or hate or feeling not good enough to take over yeah no I completely understand so I guess the last thing would be, do you have any tips or tricks or advice to anyone that might be listening? <clears throat> I would say it's never too late to start today. Um, it's, it's never too late. Even if, if you are on day 365 and you falter, and you have to start over on day one. It's never too late to start again. Um, there's hope and happiness out there, even if you have to find it in the smallest things, because the smallest things add up to really big things. And keep focusing on finding happiness more than you find negativity, because I promise it'll change your whole day around. 
That is absolutely some great advice. So, I mean, I think that's all we got for today. You've been great. I really didn't have to ask many questions. You did your story very well. Thank you. So that's a great thing. And for those listening, if you like what you hear, give us a rating on iTunes. Come join our Facebook group, Addicts Anonymous. There you can see that we do Zoom meetings. You just have to go to the events tab on the homepage for the group. And you'll see that we do Zoom meetings, and I'd like to meet some new faces. So that's all we got for today, and until next time.